0: Hey, Deserving Listeners. I know a lot of you are scared about the COVID-19 coronavirus, and some of you are less scared, and I thought that today we just do an episode in which we just talked about frivolous things, to take our mind off things, relax, just have a good time. So uh, Umberto and I are both homebound, and so I called him up over the internet, and we decided to just chat about regular things. So let's just get to that episode. So, Umberto, we are shut in like shut-ins right now.
1: I'm feeling good. I had a cold last week, but I didn't have a fever, and it wasn't a dry cough, per se, so I don't think it was COVID. Wait, what? You're sick? No, I'm no longer sick, but I was sick. Oh. Yeah. And, I mean, I wouldn't have known if it was COVID because I couldn't have gotten a test, so we'll never know.
0: Wow. So... Normally, you come into the studio, we record the episode, so this is the only time we've ever done it in this format. It feels a little weird, but I don't want you to infect me, quite honestly. I didn't know you were sick. Um, I mean, I knew you were sick, but I didn't know you were sick. Um, And uh, I don't know, I feel like everyone's thinking about it. Uh, I did a whole episode about it a couple of days ago. So how are you feeling? Like
1: it's a mix of things right now. I'm feeling maybe it's silly, but I'm feeling a little optimistic. Well, wait, are you freaking out? Or
0: I mean, health anxiety. Hello.
1: No, I, I think we talked about this last time for some reason, all my health st- anxiety stuff is very inner inwardly focused. It's rarely about like, like whenever it's been like H1N1 or the flu is going around or, Ebola came to the United. None, none of that has ever really affected me mentally, and I don't know why that is. Because, like you know, you would think, but usually all my my health stuff is very body feeling focused. Like, oh gosh, my, my stomach is hurting, or, or or maybe if someone is telling me that they have an illness, that might actually trigger me a bit. But for whatever reason, uh, <laughs> these kinds of things don't. So so it wasn't really that. But what what really started bothering me is towards the end of February when all of a sudden, like I live two blocks away from the life care center. I'm not talking about three blocks away. I'm talking about two blocks away from the life care center in Kirkland, where all the cases started happening, all the deaths. I mean, now that's no longer the case, but tons of people were from there. And it started tearing away at these poor older folk like it was was the Grim Reaper. And at that point, I thought, oh, okay, well, because I've seen so many movies, I'm thinking – this is when the the government descends on the town and the, the CDC and they quarantine ET and all these kinds of things. And instead, it was like crickets. And then when a few days went by and I'm not seeing any action, there's still no tests. Then I started worrying for real. I was like, OK, what the heck is going on? And then all the news started coming out that we were totally unprepared test wise, that we just I don't know. I don't know what the heck happened, but for whatever reason, we are sitting here while, while Italy's testing a thousand people per million, we're testing like 26 per million. And this is like weeks after the thing really broke. Um, so I've been holed up, uh, for two weeks. I've only like, I actually, I haven't left the house other than going outside to my yard and stuff like that for 10 days. I think (laughs) I'm worried about my parents. I'm worried about my grandparents.
0: I saw you fighting with people on Facebook
1: yeah, so that that has been going on for two two months, it, and it's mutated. It started off with, oh, you know, it's uh, if you're worried about this, just get the flu shot, okay. And then it, it migrated to, it's just China, it's just China, and then it was uh, there's all these variants of it. Like, okay, well, maybe it's this, but really, you know, we don't need to do anything. And, uh, yeah, I've been social justice or COVID justice warrioring it here or there.
0: After the health anxiety episode, do you feel generally more or less or the same health anxiety outside of COVID?
1: Oh, no. I actually think it helped me because um, we talked about a lot of things and a lot of coping mechanisms and things. I've been doing a lot of self-work.
0: Well, so today I thought since it's sort of a weird moment in our society, we're all locked up in our houses, you can't come over here to uh, record the podcast. So I just thought we would kind of address all these old emails that people have been sending sending in um, and questions and whatnot. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor.
1: And my name is Umberto Castaneda, and I sell bulk masks.
0: So patron Faye wrote in, and she says, this is a while back, a few weeks ago, she says, happy International Women's Day. I thought I would ask you and Umberto who are your favorite women? And she spelled favorite with a U, which is crazy, but that's what she did. And she wants to know who are your, who are your favorite women, Umberto, in history, fictional characters, musicians, and real life. For her, her favorite women are Katherine Johnson, Cameron Howe, Detective Karen Duval, PJ Harvey, Nina Simone, and her sister. Is is Detective Karen Duval the woman from Unbelievable? Is is that what that's from?
1: Oh, is that what I don't know.
0: I'm gonna Google that. I don't that. know the names. Karen Duvall. Da, da, da. yeah, she's the unbelievable uh-huh. for the TV show Unbelievable. So, Berto, who are your favorite women to celebrate right. International Women's Day?
1: Let's do it. Okay, so in history, I'd say Doctor. Is she a doctor? She's not a doctor. Lady uh, Ada Lovelace. Okay. Uh, inventor. She was a a brilliant woman. She, uh, she was one of the pioneers of the field of computing before there were computers. And one of the most famous languages was named after her, uh, Ada or Ada. I don't know how you pronounce it, actually. And uh, she was, yeah, totally a pioneer. The other one, I can't actually remember her name. <laughs> this is part of the sadness of this. But you must know the story about how she was working on, uh, on discovering DNA right alongside with Watson and Craig. And she should have actually been awarded the Nobel Prize. And uh, she, her story is is amazing, uh, but I can't remember her name because they freaking wrote her off from history. Rosalind Franklin. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Fictional characters for me. I've always been. I've always been a huge Wonder Woman fan. I used to love the '80s Wonder Woman show. Um, I I liked the idea that she was, you know, sort of part of the Greek pantheon and. 80s wasn't it wasn't it the 70s oh in Colombia, it was in the 80s you yeah. know i'm sure yeah it was probably filmed in the 70s but in Colombia, they showed it on tv in the 80s and you know the thing is i was always confused as a kid because they called them amazon warriors and i in my mind thought because you know i lived in Colombia, so i'm like wait they're from the amazon river that's crazy so i always thought they were actually like native american women <laughs> you know like native south american women but it was just a different a different Amazon.
0: I thought the same thing because...
1: Why would you not?
0: Yeah. The Amazon is a massive river in South America. So that's what I thought it was too.
1: Exactly. Uh, musicians, uh, man, so many. Uh, Blondie, always admired Gloria Stefan. You know, she, she was like broke through when there was almost no Hispanic, you know, acts like that. Um, I love... I love Madonna. I really did. I I mean, I no longer really follow her or whatever. I have no idea what she's up to, but back in when she, when she was big, man, her music was great and she was great. And she was an iconoclast. She was just like defining fashion left and right, scandalizing the world left and right. Um, Janis Joplin, um, just what a crazy performer. And like, just that voice, man. Ugh
0: but who's your favorite female musician
1: favorite favorite because of my childhood connection to it i have to go karen carpenter
0: okay what about in real life favorite women in real life
1: yeah that's a little tough uh it just shows how uh ginsburg okay she's a fighter oh okay another one i wanted to say that was fictional was ellie in contact
0: okay all right, so mine uh, in history, we got Karen Horneye, who is a... So my, I'll give all the runners up. So we got Karen Horneye, who is a psychodynamic, psychoanalytic theorist, and a lot of her writing is... I could, it really resonates with me, and I, I've read her books from the 40s, 50s, 60s. Also, Eleanor Roosevelt in history. I, everything I remember hearing about her in history, I very much respected, Billie Jean King. I didn't know much about her. I grew up knowing her name as a as a tennis player. But when I saw that movie that came out a few years ago, it gave me a new perspective on her life and, and respect for her. Uh, Gloria Steinem. Uh, I, I very much respect her. I, I don't follow her in recent years, but uh, a lot of the work that she did in the 70s and 80s, I, I find to just be amazing. Uh, it really changed our society And I also have Ruth Bader Ginsburg on my list. Uh, How can you not have her on the list? Uh, But my very favorite figure in history who is a woman is Virginia Satir. Many of you listeners know that I talk about her often. She was a pioneer family therapist. And you know, there's a lot of different therapists that had theories and they would have videos about them uh, demonstrating their version of therapy. And Virginia Satir was the only one or uh, there's only a few like Carl Rogers is another one who I, when I'm a therapist and I'm doing my therapy, I try to be like Virginia Satir. Um, Mm. uh, Whereas like Murray Bowen, he didn't really inspire me. Susan Johnson doesn't really inspire me. I mean, I, I like them, but they're not, the way they are as a human being, the way they are as a therapist doesn't really inspire me. Virginia Satir is is very inspirational. She's actually quite wacky as a therapist. In terms of fictional characters, I have a long list because, you know, there's just got to be like (laughs) millions of of female characters. But but these are all the uh, runners up here. You got April Ludgate from Parks and Rec, played by Aubrey Plaza. You got Fleabag, played by um, uh-huh. what's-her-face. Uh, you got Brienne of Tarth. I think she's an awesome Ooh. kid. Uh, Mulan. I'm looking forward to the new Mulan movie. Of, course, really you got, that too. For, of course, you got Princess Leia. I'm surprised you didn't mention <gasps> oh her. Oh, my
1: gosh! Can I retractively add Princess Leia? Yeah. Back here? Uh, Princess Mononoke uh,
0: It's one of my favorite yeah. movies. Ripley from Aliens. Uh, Arya Stark. Sarah O'Connor, but just the first Terminator movie, maybe the second, but mainly it's the Sarah first. Sarah O'Connor. Movie. Yeah. Furiosa from the new Mad Max movie. I like her character.
1: Oh, yeah, because she's the strong silent type, just like every character in that movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Sweet D from It's Always Sunny.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Eleven from Stranger Things. Mm. Annie Hall is a great character, very uh, before-its-time kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, Lucy Ricardo. I grew up watching Lucy Ricardo Uh and Ricky Ricardo, you know, almost every day from the time I was probably like seven until I was 11. Really? Yeah. You Uh know, in Seattle, we had one rerun channel, Channel 11. And, you know, the Lucy show, uh, I Love Lucy, was on – like the Flintstones and Bewitched, yeah. and I almost put Bewitched on there, but Lucy uh, won out. Lorelai Gilmore from The Gilmore Girls. Uh of she's a great character. I've, I've watched The Gilmore Girls uh, seasons one through eight uh, at least a couple times. I've also read her book. Uh, uh, I can't remember her name, the actress who plays her. Uh, Liz Lemon, played by uh, Tina yeah, Fey. Yeah. That's a great character. Uh, I love 30 rock Laura Ingalls. I grew up with Laura Ingalls. Did you Oh Yes. Little house in the Prairie. when you yeah. were. Two? Yeah. So that was right up my alley and all me you and know, all my friends. When I was seven years old, Laura on TV would have been like 10 or 12 or something. And so it was a, a very formative TV show for me, Laura Ingalls. Uh, Kristen Shaw's character on Flight of the Conchords. You know, I've
1: never, I only watched like one or two episodes of that.
0: I still, to this day, will late at night just watch clips from Flight of the Conchords. I I didn't
1: find it that awesome for some reason. Everyone I knew was so into it.
0: It's like Arrested Development or or like It's Always Sunny. I think the first time you watch it, or Archer, you know, the first time you watch it, you're just like, I don't really understand. You have to kind of get into it anyway. Okay. Uh, you're going to kick yourself for this one. Uh, Edie Falco's character on The
1: Sopranos. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> and and Maud, well, Actually, I would
1: say Edie Falco. Like, Edie Falco's yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah. Maud in Harold and Maud, the movie, she's a great character. But my number one fictional character is Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. Um, I really? find Yeah. I find her character to be... Inspirational, relatable, hilarious. There's just so you know that show. Uh, her her character evolves into someone who you know she's anal about her three ring binders and stuff, but she's also she just has a heart of gold and she's just a wonderful person. And I feel like if we were all more like Leslie, you know the world would be a better place. Mm. Uh, musicians. I also have Madonna on my list. I too have not followed her since probably 1992, but <laughs> yeah. I have a, a lot of memories about her from '82 to '92, uh, and what a you know a trendsetter and talent. I remember uh, when I in the '80s I'd be I was in choir and uh, vocal jazz, this kind of thing, and I remember our teacher just totally hacking on Madonna's. Singing. Really? Yeah. She's like, yeah, her singing, she sings all wrong because, you know, old people, you're just going to hack on young people. And I remember, sure. I remember being like, yeah, you know, that's, I respect my teacher, but Donna, she can't sing. Looking back, like, okay, she's not singing in a classic sense, but you know, those early songs are uh, written well, performed well. Uh, there's just so many things, you know, it's, it's not as amazing as like a, a Michael Jackson performance or something, but it it definitely has like a thing to it, which, you know, it's, yeah. there's not, there's just no auto tune. There's very little effect. That's actually one of the things that kind of bugs me about her more recent stuff. The, the stuff I've managed to hear is like, there's a ton, try to get modern. Yeah. Yeah. It's very uh, affected vocally, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, you I totally know, agree. Yeah. Bjork again, I haven't yeah, followed her, York. Uh, but another trendsetter and a very talented person. Uh, I followed her from 86 until 92, maybe her, you know, her human nature, uh, album, I think it's called human nature the, that the album that was on, but I, in the sugar Cube, she was amazing. And in that movie, did you see that movie that she was in? It's like kind of like a musical and uh she's in like a logging town have you seen that movie um i don't think so no oh well you should wait. watch it it's actually pretty interesting uh, actually i'm going to look it this sounds
1: familiar maybe I, wait, was this like in the early 2000s or something uh
0: maybe even earlier than that huh. dancer in Is the dark the, yeah well, you're just
1: oh yeah 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 i did see that yes yeah Th- that's so funny like it seems like uh when you first mentioned it i'm like no but then as you're describing it i'm like did I dream this? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely saw it, but I don't remember much of it.
0: Yeah, uh, director writer Lars Van Trier. Trier, I'm not sure yeah. what, he's from Denmark, and uh, he also made Dogville and Melancholia yeah. and, and Breaking the Waves. But it's it's a really it's a really great movie, um, and uh, I thought she did a fantastic job with that. She she sings songs in it, that kind of thing. Also, Nina Pearson of the Cardigans. You know, I love the Cardigans. Olivia, yes. New- Olivia Newton, John, um, is, uh, you know, someone I grew up with and I just find her to be a fantastic performer and singer. Of course, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Fiona Apple. I-, I like a lot. Uh, the first couple albums, Stevie Nicks and Santa Gold are all like wonderful female musicians, but my number one female musician is first aid kit. I think everyone understands that I've talked about them before. Joanna Soderbergh and Clara Soderberg. They, when they sing, it just makes me want to cry. It's, it's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. It's just amazing. Um, in real life, I would put Oprah Winfrey. I mean, you got to put her on the yeah. list. She's amazing. Greta Thunberg, you got to put her on the list.
1: Oh, true, true, true.
0: Um, and Drew Drugen. you mentioned Carl Sagan, his <laughs> wife, and they collaborated on Cosmos together and a lot of other things. And she's still, to this day, uh, she just published a book, I think, that is um, inspirational in a lot of ways. She, she's amazing. Uh, Megan uh, Rapino or Rapino, I keep forgetting how to pronounce her name. She's the soccer player, at the World Cup uh, woman from Seattle, and uh, and I have a connection to her that I won't mention. Uh, 80 Bryant on Saturday night live. Uh, she, I just find her to be hilarious. I stay up late at night and watch Saturday night live videos and 80 Bryant. I find to be just hilarious and connected to her. Lindy West, a local hero, Lindy West, uh, feminist and fat acceptance movement, uh, person, uh, writer of shrill and the TV show. But the person I got to say, you know, in real life is my mom, of course. She is the best. I mean, my mom, you know my mom. She is, she's vibrant. She's thoughtful. She's, uh, you know, caring. She's um, alive. Uh, A a lot of my, uh, I don't know, things that I do in my life, like the podcast, you could even say, this effort to just do stuff and not just sit and watch TV it comes yeah. from my mom. She is enthusiastic she doesn't she 's not afraid to walk up to people and and just compliment them on their outfit uh, she you know doesn 't have a snarky bone in her body she 's just she's no just, no no just a wonderful person uh, Patron Faye also asks. Favorite things about women, favorite things about women. Berto, what do you think?
1: I love women's legs. <laughs> I also love ponytails and I love accents. I mean, especially British accents. <laughs> um, but then there is because there is this maternal aspect to it. Um, I, I love that as well. I love the maternal kind of care that you can feel from a woman, especially if it's your mom. <laughs> and that there's that sort of sense of maybe maybe it's a set of instincts that kick in i just love seeing when when you see like women around babies it's like i don't know like some switches go on it's like oh we are the protectors the the enablers of babies um which is fantastic i love that they can give birth that's miraculous and uh, I love that they can suffer through the pain of giving birth, which is crazy. Um, and I really love it when I see, uh, like, a, you know, an engineer or a mathematician uh, who's a strong woman, you know, like, there's a channel I love on YouTube called um, uh, 60 Symbols. And they've had a few sub channels come out of that. And one of them is a math channel. And there's this one gal who does these presentations. And I'm just, I'm always just like, amazed because she is such a good educator. And she just presents these complicated math subjects um, so well. And just amazing.
0: Well, we finally found a YouTube channel that both of us watch. That's it's number file. And I know. Yes.
1: And there's number file too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. So for me, favorite, favorite things about women, it's hard to say because as people know, you know, personality is essentially the same across genders. So, you know, what are we talking about when we say um, that there's something um, distinctive about women? I too appreciate the fact that they can give birth to life. That's a pretty big distinction between men and women um, in terms of depending on how you define gender and that kind of thing. But uh, without that, right, none of us would be here. It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's not just like functionally interesting, but it's also just incredible when you think about it, just this life that builds up in someone and um, all that kind of thing. You know, it's just, it's pretty amazing. Also, I would say that, women are socialized to be freer to emote things, which is great. And they also tend to listen better um, because, again, they're probably socialized to be that way. And I have been paying more, you know, ever since the term mansplain came out, I've been uh, really paying attention to that more in myself and other men. And I'm finding that uh, so many men are mansplaining, not just to women, but to me, you know, and so many women are not mansplainy. <laughs> Certainly some women can be mansplainy or women's splainy or something for sure. I mean, it's not like you don't have narcissistic over talking women, but there's just so many times when, because when I've just started to take note of like when a, you know, we run into a situation like, Oh, you know, that clock on the wall isn't working. And like men, because we've been socialized to be useful in this way, like men will just start spouting up. You know, oh, well, you know, it's cause of the electrons and dah, da dah. And you're just like, okay, I didn't really care to know that. And plus, I don't even know if you're right about that. <laughs> There's just this sort of control mansplaining thing that men do that women just tend not to do. And again, they tend to listen more, which I find to be nice. Uh,
1: this is one of my uh, gripes of wrath with the whole mansplaining thing though, because I have often thought that it is not, it is not in general a thing that men do to women, but it is a thing that some personality types of men do in general. And then in addition to that, there are some types of men that feel like women are inferior in some way and feel like they need to correct or or explain things to women and that these aren't the same Venn diagram, like there's different crossovers there. Because as an example, uh, I know, as you just were saying, I know many men in, in my life, that absolutely mansplaining constantly to me and to everyone I know around them at all times <laughs> and it has nothing to do with women or not women. It's just like their personality.
0: Right. Absolutely. But men are socialized to find self-worth in mansplaining, in being knowledgeable and being helpful technically, so to speak. And it's not like women don't do it as well. I'm just saying that I've been paying particular close attention and maybe it's just men around me or something, but there's just a lot of mansplaining that I hear and I and I and it every time it happens, I'm like, oh God, that's what women are talking about. And it's so aggravating. It's just it just instantly You know, drains the energy from my body, and I'm just like, God, I got to sit here for three minutes listening to this fucking bullshit. You know, now women will do that too. I can I can quickly identify a handful of women who do that as well, but men are just more likely to do it. So that's why I appreciate about women is the absence of that kind of stuff. Also, they tend to be more progressive politically on average, which I appreciate. Uh, I don't know why that is. We could sociologically make some guesses, Um, but. Uh, the last thing I'll say is I've noticed. So, you know, with all this, uh, quarantine time, I've been teaching over zoom, which is like Skype. If you don't know what zoom is, I've been doing therapy over zoom. I've been doing supervision over zoom. We're doing this, uh, podcast over zoom. And the thing that I'm noticing and Berto, you just did it, but not for that reason is people uh, men will mute their video on Zoom, whereas women do not mute their video on Zoom on average. Um, and I'm one of those men who actually—I'm one of those men who actually mute their video. Like, um, now I don't know what that is exactly, but uh, like, I'll be in a meeting at the university with like 15 different people, and of the men in the video meeting, about half of them will have their their video turned off the entire meeting or part of the meeting. Whereas the women, they don't do that. You know, they're just more, at least the women in my circle anyway, they're just more like, um, uh, polite, I guess. Um, you know, uh, I, for example am not as polite as the average person in a situation like that. I'm just like, I don't want to sit in front of my computer and listen to this meeting I want to wander around and do the laundry and maybe like organize my shelves and stuff. And I can't have my video on because then people realize I'm distracted. So I turn off my video and I wander around the house and I get other things done.
1: But yeah, I know what you mean. I do a lot of remote meetings too. But I, I feel like a lot of times it is a combination of what you just described and also people that are shy about their faces being on video.
0: Okay, so let's take a break and we get back. Let's continue with our quarantine episode. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. Okay, we're back from the break. I thought we'd give some shout-outs to some patrons, some upper-tier patrons. We have Jill and Serenity and Chris and Lorelai. I know all those people. We got Sally and Erica and Laurie, whom we met at our last anniversary show, Danielle and Cindy. We got another Danielle, uh, Les, uh, I can't pronounce this person's name, Hi-ley? Hi Hi? Hi? Uh, we got Joaquim and Nimrod and Aaron and Phil and Charles and Jessamy, whom we know, and Tara. Of course, Tara. Thank you all for being upper tier patrons, people. There's some others here, but For the sake of time, we'll skip over that. Please become a patron of the podcast if you haven't already and uh, join the fun. Okay, next question. Dory from Munich asks, yes or no, Berto? The key point in the relationship is not the first kiss but the first fart.
1: (laughs) I know. I mean, no, no. It's funny. It's funny. Got what you're doing. No a key point in a relationship is when you, when you feel like you can be yourself with that person.
0: Isn't that when you have the first fart?
1: No, no, that's, that's just, that could be, that could be many other things. I mean, like where you can sit next to them in silence if it need be, and, uh, not feel like you have to sit in a certain direction or, uh, say something specific or, or have you remember to check your hair for a second or, or, oh, was this the sweater I should have been wearing? When you can feel like, okay, I'm fine. I think that moment is a significant step in your relationship.
0: Okay. Uh, Gian Luzzi from Switzerland writes in and says, I will get married to my girlfriend this summer and we are having a discussion about our last name. My Swiss German last name is somewhat unfortunate. It's looser, which some people often make fun of it by pronouncing it as loser. I was sometimes teased about it as a teenager, but not too much. It hasn't really been a problem for me since it's a rather common last name in eastern part of Switzerland. I have a strong identification with my last name, and for me, it is connected to a large family heritage. My girlfriend, on the other hand, is not so much connected to her father-given last name and is willing to take on my last name. So no problem, right? Well, the problem is that sometimes we worry about our children being mocked for their last name, being looser. It's fine where we live, but what about them living abroad in an English-speaking country? Should I abandon my last name just because maybe someday some idiots are going to make fun of, of my son about it? Shouldn't I be confident that by raising him in the right way and giving him a good sense of self that he will stand above it? I sometimes think that this might be similar to people from other cultures whose children might get bullied or made fun of for their attributes like religious symbols, clothing, hairstyles, and names. They shouldn't be forced to abandon meaningful elements of their identity just to fit in, but they do get made fun of sometimes, and it can be painful to children and of email Berto, What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So many people have to deal with these kinds of things growing up. Uh, my take on it is definitely, uh, you know, a name is is just a name, and it is a name. In other words, it's important and not important at the same time. Uh, I think having something different about you, even if it's something that makes you potentially prone to being made fun of, uh, can help build you into a stronger person. What I would recommend though, is to like, um, push into it. In other words, instead of like, Oh, well, I hope they never make a joke about it. Teach the kid from the start. Like, Hey, our last name's loser, you know, like loser and, uh, teach him the Beck song. Hey, I'm a loser baby. So why don't you kill? And then the kid's going to get into class and then they'll say, okay, what's your name Timmy? Oh, I'm Timmy loser. That's right. Like, so and then everyone's going to be like, okay, that kid already made fun of his last name, so it's kind of redundant to do so. Um, and if you just don't wear a chip on your shoulder about it, it's you can actually turn it into a thing. As an example, uh, when I was moving to this country when I was fifteen, uh, I would introduce myself in in classes in Umberto Castaneda, and I'm from Colombia. Inevitably, there were the the uh, ignoramus who would say like, Oh, is your uncle Pablo Escobar? And, you know, I had a a path in front of me. I could have been like, shut up, man. That's not funny. And unfortunately, if I had done that, then I would have really been teased about these kinds of things. Uh, Instead, what I would do is be like, Oh yeah, that's right, man. So you better watch out or something along those lines. And essentially there wasn't much, direction for them to take the joke after that because it's like yeah I've acknowledged that it's obviously not real what else do you want um it doesn't always work in all cases but I found for me it it led to just sort of like it being an initial thing and then it just like didn't become an ongoing issue um but you know that's my that's my thinking
0: yeah that's a very Umberto answer, and I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, my answer to you uh Gian Lucy from Switzerland is you know I don't know the right answer. I would certainly applaud you if you kept your name because screw the bullies I mean what's wrong with them? I grew up as the only person of color in my community, and I'm glad I went through that. It built character you know if like what Umberto was saying it's like you you just work it into your life. Uh, a boy named Sue, the 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 father named his kid Sue to build characters and make them tough. Um, I had a name Honda, which is a, a very straight to this day. I will get jokes about that. And it's just amazing that someone thinks like they're the first person to make a joke about my last name. I mean, um, although I do give points to people for saying, oh, like the lawnmower, because, you know, Honda <laughs> does make the a lawnmower, and I'll be like, okay, that's kind of a meta joke, but I've heard that one a million times too. But, um, you know, for me, uh, growing up uh, different with a different last name and being the only non-white person in my community, it gave me more empathy for oppressed groups. It also, I think, made me more skeptical about systems of power because I saw the white power structure and I was outside of it and it, it sort of helped. So, you know, growing up with a name like loser, you might uh, grow up with like this sense of like, Oh, there's people who are made fun of for literally no reason. And how am I making fun of people for those identities? And I'm going to rise above that. Um, but having said all that, people have been changing their names for centuries. I mean, if we went as far back with all of our last names, uh, like I do a lot of genealogy, and when um, I look back just even like three generations, four generations, the last names are different. Uh, They were spelled different. They were pronounced different. Uh, For example, my Japanese heritage, uh, the peasants that I came from, they didn't even have last names. (laughs) So my last name of, of Honda or Honda, as we pronounce it, um you know it's probably only like 130 150 years old or something so it doesn't really it goes back but it doesn't go back to the beginning of time on my other side of my family uh the names also kind of morph over time anyway the point is is that people change say my japanese ancestors when they came over to the united states they adopted anglo names 150 years ago like joseph or henry or these kinds of things and you know it just makes it easier sometimes you know there's there's nothing wrong with that um and there's no judgment uh having said all that many chinese and koreans here on the west coast have names like wang or dong or dung or ho etc and they seem totally fine now they get made fun of probably on a daily basis but i you know i have friends uh their name is dong or or even dung or ho and they are totally fine with it you just get used to it you know and it's just like okay yeah i i get it uh 13 year old uh you know grown man. Uh it's I, I realize my name uh it, it means something. There's actually a really funny line from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where uh Kimmy meets this a Korean immigrant fella whom they kind of have a romantic thing. And I think his name is Dong. And uh, she says, she says, Oh, what's your name? And he's like, Oh, my name's Dong. And, and then Dong says, Oh, uh, what's your name? And and she says, Oh, my name's Kimmy. And then he starts to giggle and she's like, why are you giggling? And he says, well, I'm sorry, but your name means penis in my, in my language. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, there, there's, there's certainly a lot of people who, struggle with this, but you know, they get by. That's certainly a far cry from a last name of Lucer in another country where people are used to that name. Uh, so, you know, but like I said, if you change the name, you know, no judgment from me, uh, certainly, uh, I could see some justification about that. It's not like your kid is going to be a worse person if you do change the name, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But, you know, I respect what you're saying in that you're like, look, you know, I have a lot of family connection and, and ancestry. To, I, it's, I'm connected to this name. It's a large family heritage. Um, and that's, you know, it's, that's a big reason. I, th- I think I think that's a big reason to uh, hold on to it. Next question here. So I was wandering around Birdo uh, yeah. and it just popped in my head of like, I'm always complaining about movies where the the lead character action movies where the lead character is not actually vulnerable, you know, like, um, the fast and furious movies. you know, it's pretty classic. Never do I worry that anyone is ever going to be hurt at all, even though they're not superheroes. These are just regular human beings. They, I never worry that they're going to get hurt. I never worry. I don't even worry that they're going to get injured. Do you know what I mean? Let alone, <coughs> let alone die. And so when I'm watching the movies, I had, there's no stake. There's no, I don't have any kind of anxiety. And so I'm just watching a cartoon of, uh, that, that essentially just highlights some CGI cartoonists and their ability to, to paint things that look realistic. Uh, I'm not watching a story. I'm not invested in the story, like the way that I might care about John McClane in, uh, in Die Hard. in that movie, especially the first time I saw it in the 80s, I'm like, my God, that guy, you know, I'm, I'm worried about him. And it makes the story just so much more interesting, so much more compelling, so much more emotional, so much more real feeling. And so I thought, I want to talk with my friend Umberto and go over uh, good and bad uh, characters, you know, fictional characters, in movies and TV shows that, exemplify this dichotomy between actually vulnerable heroes that make the sh- the movie and the story awesome versus not actually vulnerable heroes because the you know it's to me it's not just a mistake in the writing and directing and acting to me it's an adolescent approach to writing a story when you're 13 all you want to do is, if you know, with if you identify with the protagonist, you want to be invincible. You want to be, you know, a god. You want to be James Bond. You want to be the guy who gets the babe and can't do anything wrong. Always makes the shot. Uh, never really gets injured and 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 dresses in a uh, a tuxedo the entire time. Like that's the fantasy. But when you grow up, you realize that life is much more gray than that, and that you know, we don't, we, we gain a certain amount of self-confidence. We don't need our characters to compensate for our lack of security in the world. And so we want life to just feel more real, you know? And uh, so these writers like for Terminator and fast and furious one, I think they're writing for a 13 year old sort of mentality. Um, Two, I think they come from a 13 year old mentality. You know, they, they just have a black and white way of, 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 thinking about things and they appeal to a black and white sort of way of now it's art. So, you know, some very sophisticated, I there are podcasts I listen to where they're extremely sophisticated in their cultural uh, uh, criticism and they like fast and furious, which I just do not understand. But so I'm not going to say this is right or wrong. I'm just saying for me, and I think it's kind of common, you know, these kinds of issues. But so Berto, can you think of any, actually good, vulnerable heroes and actually bad, vulnerable, you know, invulnerable, vulnerable, good yeah. versus invulnerable, bad heroes in movies and TV.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So first off, uh, Rocky in the original Rocky movie yeah. and the second Rocky movie was a good, vulnerable hero. And then as the Rockies went on to three and four, he became a, a very much invulnerable hero. Now, granted, you would think, on the surface, if you watch Rocky Four, especially, you'd think, "Well, I don't know. He gets his his friend dies from what's his name, Ivan Drago, and then he gets hit pretty hard." But in reality, it's it's at that point, it's a cartoon. You know, like he's right. he he's not going to lose the match. Doesn't matter how many times he gets hit.
0: Right. At no point in the story arc, like after that point <laughs> where he's at his his lowest, do you think? he's going to lose. That's why Rocky, that's why Rocky one and Rocky two, particularly Rocky one, really, because spoiler alert for a movie that's 50 years old, he doesn't win, (laughs) you know, Rocky, the whole movie, which, which, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone wrote, by the way, Which is and he also had a hand in Expendables and the later Rambo movies, Um, and similar to First Blood actually, which I had on my list. First Blood, Rambo is vulnerable as hell and visceral, like a John McClane character. And then First Blood Two or whatever, uh, John Rambo Two, it's just like you just know (laughs) he's gonna he's gonna prevail. There's there's gonna be no problem, you know.
1: Yeah, so. That's a good. That's a good thing. And so that's that's actually funny because in both of those series, the character in the early movie starts very vulnerable, and then it progresses to a invincible superhero.
0: Right, and I think to comment on the sequelness of that because I think that's actually a pattern because Sicario did that as well. Sicario, yeah, right. The first one was awesome, and the the main character played by uh, what's her face, um, she was very vulnerable, and then the second one. Uh, they focus on the invulnerability aspects of the uh, characters. And I think what uh, I think it, it's in line with like, well, why do they do uh, sequels to begin with? Cause very few creative artists would want to do a sequel, you know, cause it's like, well, we're just kind of rehashing old ground here. Well, the reason why you do it is because of money and you, you or fame or something other than artistic expression And so not, you know, that's not always the case, but you know, it's, it's a motivating factor in a lot of, a lot of situations. And a lot of times they'll just take the name Sicario, like Sicario one was Denny Villeneuve who did Arrival and all those other great movies. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do a sequel. You're going to have to, so the producers find some director hack, you know what I mean? And so in line with all that mentality, they're thinking, well, you know, what's the, what's the most awesome kind of kick-ass aspect of that last movie? Well, of course, it was when, you know, Rambo had that big gun and he was shooting shit up, you know. It's just this childish way of looking at it uh, that just misses the whole point, you know. Rocky One was awesome because he was vulnerable. Uh, First Blood was awesome because Rambo was vulnerable. Uh, I think even the Die Hard movies actually kind of did that too, right? John McClane was awesome because he was vulnerable. And then later on uh, in the installments, you never worry about him. It's just this, this like silly, unrealistic version of that because it's in line with the purpose of the movie, which is a money grab.
1: All right. My next one is actually similar. Indiana Jones.
0: Yeah. Indiana
1: Jones, right? Because in the first movie, I, I mean, we're all there with him. He's vulnerable, man. He's got tarantulas. He's afraid of snakes. His hat almost gets crushed. Like, he's almost smashed by a ball. Like, the whole time in that movie, you're just like, God, he's going to get killed. And uh, he fights this, like, beastly dude and the, uh, right by the plane. Everything is stressful. And then in the end, he doesn't even – like, he's tied up at the climax. He's tied up. The only thing he can do is close his eyes, you know? And then he doesn't really even win. I mean, all, I guess – He wins as in the bad guys didn't get the thing, but he doesn't even get to keep the spoils and the riches. No one really knows what he did anymore. And that's a vulnerable hero. Right. Then you get to freaking Indy 4 and it's like... Well, let's
0: kind of walk ourselves through because I've I've recently been YouTubing clips of The Last Crusade and there's some really great chemistry between him and Sean Connery. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh,
1: Last Crusade was better than the second one. Right. Luke Skywalker in the first couple movies, you know? Yeah. Uh, Actually, in all all three of them, really. Um, He gets his hand chopped off for crying out loud,
0: you know? Yeah. And and, and to point out, uh, you know, even in return, he's still vulnerable because they didn't make the force so powerful, you know, like uh, basically all Luke can do. And he's like at the top of his game at this point, all he can do is like, he's pretty good with a sword. He can jump high. He can, he can use the mind trick on, on, on creatures that are susceptible to that, but he can't use it on Jabba.
1: Right. When
0: he falls into the Rancor pit, he has a really hard time with that fight. Like, yeah. you know, he has to use things that ha- have nothing to do with the Force, really. He just has to use his yeah. ingenuity and his courage and his go-gettedness to actually uh, get out of that fight. And then we skip to, you know, even this, the, the prequels, <laughs> yeah. uh, let alone episode nine. And it's just like, right. so th- they're gods. They can, they right. defy right. life. They, <laughs> they can transform. Form between life and death. They can, they can blow up uh, uh, ten thousand ships at once. They can, uh, they can, you know, transport themselves across the universe and actually touch things. Exactly. I mean, it's like so, ridiculous.
1: So this is don't a even get theme me started. These, yeah, this is a running theme with any of these series. For example, my next one is Ripley and Alien. But as you go through the Alien series, same thing. And now all of a sudden, you don't even fear the aliens because you're taking them out by the dozen with the guns, you know? Um, but in that first one, I mean, we're right there with her, man. We're like, oh, God, what's going to happen? And yeah. that tense last bit of it, it's like, that's, ugh.
0: Yeah, like, um, talk about vulnerable, right? Like, Alien, those characters are vulnerable. A similar movie is The Abyss, which is kind of similar Oh to- yeah. You know, you, you get, there's no mistake. These characters are regular humans with regular yeah. vulnerabilities. Um, I will say though, Prometheus, the main character, the woman, she was vulnerable like Ripley, you know, like when she's, uh, in, right. yeah, yeah. she's in a surgery pod and, you know, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. Rick Grimes from uh, Walking Dead. Okay. Talk about a vulnerable character. And I'm talking about like the best of it, right? Like the, yeah. the graphic novel and maybe the first couple seasons. I, I don't know. But like talk about vulnerability. He op- it opens with him in a coma and he walks out into like this deserted world full of zombies. And then he himself goes through like traumatic stuff. He, he loses his hand. His son loses an eye. His wife gets brutally killed. Like it's, it's vulnerable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He gets hurt a lot. And then, uh, I'd say everyone in Quentin Tarantino movies, (laughs) like pretty much everyone.
0: Yeah. I had the same thing. I was at first I was like, okay, basically all the Pulp Fiction characters. And then I was (laughs) like, well, all the Reservoir Dogs characters. And I was like, (laughs) actually every Quentin Tarantino movie, (laughs) all the characters at any point could get their head blown off.
1: (laughs) No one is safe. It's great. Um, Robocop. Uh, the the original, the old Robocop. Uh, th- I mean, it starts with, and I remember seeing it in the theater as a kid and it was kind of traumatizing because I don't know if you, do you remember when the, the cop gets, you know, he's still not a Robocop. He's a normal human and he gets, and he tries to stop these bad guys. And they just shoot him to death basically. Right. And they, they brutalize him. It was such a traumatic scene. I'm like, I don't think I'd ever seen anything so violent in a movie ever. And that's the hero of the movie. <laughs> uh, and then even after he becomes a robot, he's not like an indestructible robot. He, he actually is not even the most powerful robot they've designed. He, he's sort of like a, he quickly is like treated like, yeah, well, this is a good test, but this isn't even like really what we're trying to do. We're trying to build these uh, ED-209 monsters um, I yeah, like that's that. kind of
0: interesting. That one because on one level, they did make him invincible uh, against like regular criminals. He he was bulletproof. Right. Uh, why they left his chin vulnerable, I don't know <laughs> why, but but they did. And uh,
1: that's where your brain is.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so uh, on. So on in terms of how the story is written, he's very vulnerable in the beginning. They rebuild him as this. You know, cyborg. Now he's invulnerable, but at the same time, he can't be totally invulnerable because we need him to have a trial and tribulation. So there's a bigger robot that can hurt him,
1: and they treat him sort of dispensably because they they treat him like well, I mean, he was the prototype, but I mean, clearly he's too vulnerable. You know, right? Um, I think
0: I think the key in that movie to making him still vulnerable is that there's a large system, a political corporate system. Yeah. That is, we all understand, is even more powerful than him, right? He's right. He's not like a lone wolf on the on the prairie. He is a he's an employee. Uh, he's a police officer. He has to follow certain rules. At any time, he could be decommissioned if if they wanted to, right. you know, have that happen to him. And so that's how they they keep it. Uh, you know, that's good writing, I guess, is the point.
1: The next one for me is really weird because. It's actually, I don't like how they did it. I don't like the output of it. But as a kid, I loved the movie. Superman 2. If you remember, they he decides to take away his powers to become human so he can marry Lois.
0: That was 2?
1: Yeah, Superman Oh, that's two. right.
0: And then Zod comes down and he's like, shit, I got to get my and powers it's like, back. shit.
1: Wrong time to do this. But the thing is, in, in, there's this scene where when he's got his powers stripped away, he gets into a bar fight. And he gets his ass completely kicked. Now, I was a little disappointed. I'm like, well, really? He can't even put up a fight? Like, he's that bad of a fighter? So it, made, it like kind of diminished Superman a little bit because it's like, oh, it really is just the powers. And I didn't like that. But but that made it did sense make to me, the character feel vulnerable.
0: Right, but it did make sense to me back in the day because if you are infinitely strong, essentially, you don't have to be a proficient fighter. You just have to That's be right. like... Precise, I suppose. Yeah. So it yeah. makes total sense. You know it. Uh, yeah, to me it made total sense. I remember. I yeah. forgot about then, that one.
1: Yeah. The last two I'll list are uh, Teen Wolf. Did you ever watch Teen Wolf with Mar- uh, with uh, uh,
0: Michael J. Fox? Michael J. Fox. I just recently we rewatched it. Yes. Okay. So it's a, I mean, it's, a t- it's a terrible movie.
1: I I know. I, I had very fond memories of that movie as a kid, but. But the thing is that the, the main character is this teenager going through puberty. That's the theme. And it's all about his insecurities and about his body changing and about like those awkward conversations with your parents and, and about like falling in love and feeling really awkward. It's it's a great coming of age movie in that sense. And and the character's totally vulnerable, even though he's a wolf.
0: I mean, have you watched that <laughs> movie recently?
1: You know. In the last twenty years,
0: <laughs> it's it's terrible. There's there's a scene um, where uh, I mean, you know, it's a classic, and of course, you watched it when you were ten. So it's it's awesome when you're ten, and compared to other movies in the eighties, it's awesome. Particularly, they're just, surfing on a van <laughs> for five minutes. It's the most boring scene <laughs> of the movie, uh, and then they Everybody go to this.
1: Got surfing. Yeah. So so
0: anyone out there, just Google that scene. It's, (laughs) it goes on way too long. It's not interesting. It's not funny. It doesn't propel the story at all. It's just like the director writers just like, well, we want to make these kids cool. (laughs) I think they're trying to make him and his friends cool. Yeah. But it's like, that's what it was. They're not cool. It's just like, it's, it's fine that you're doing that, but I don't need to watch it for five minutes. It's terrible. And the interesting part was because I just rewatched this a couple of days ago or a couple weeks ago, they go to this, you know, they're, they're on their way to a party, high school party. They walk yeah. in the party. Every person is white, you know, they're in California <laughs> somewhere, I think. And now that happened back then and still does, but you would not see that in a Hollywood movie today. You wouldn't even see three friends that were white, you know, let alone the entire party of like 150. Anyway, do you have any more? The last,
1: yeah, the last one is Marty McFly from back to the future. Um, again, this is same actor. Uh, this is someone who is not only vulnerable because, you know, he's a teenager and he's, and, and the doctor's the crazy one and he's just trying to keep up. But he starts disappearing halfway through the movie. Like he starts disappearing and there are so many great moments in that movie where they really set it up where you're like, well, okay, well, now they can't do it. Like their plan is totally bust now. Like what are they going to do? Even to the last second with the clock tower when it's like, okay, finally they untangle the thing and he goes to plug it in and like, and it doesn't plug in. And, and then he finally gets it, and then we finally does it, but it unplugs from the other side. I mean, it's just so stressful. And the, the whole thing makes you feel super vulnerable. Um, so I think that character is a great example of someone that you absolutely don't feel like he's got it in the bag, even though they make him cool. He's skateboarding. He's all, you know, he's escaping from the bad guys. But uh, the plot makes it still feel like there's a lot to lose.
0: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it is the tension and – worry you have overall and then the release you have even even rewatching it for like the 15th time that i did last time i watched it i was i was tense even though <laughs> yeah. obviously i knew what happened um okay so my list uh john McClane, uh tom hanks in private ryan uh luke skywalker particularly in five actually he's extremely vulnerable in five rogue one all the characters because Spoiler alert! They all die, and they they die kind of one by one at towards the end of the movie. Uh, First Blood with with Rambo, and not the later movies. Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of the few Arnold Arnold movies where I actually worried about his uh, his future. Yes,
1: and that's a great. Sorry, that's a great one. First of all, one of my favorite movies. I can't believe I didn't remember that. Uh, and you're absolutely right. They start. They open with these badass, elite, special forces, crazy guys, right? And then less than halfway through the movie, you're really like, I don't think anyone's going to survive this. This might be one of those movies where no one lives.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, Don Corleone in Godfather 1 and 2. You know, he's in a hospital bed being carted around. And and, uh, that's a gangster movie. And there are a lot of gangster movies where you never worry about the lead characters. Um, All the Sopranos characters, you know, a very good part of that show was like, they just made you feel like, real. at any point, like you could go and you could go from a variety of ways. You could go by your enemies. You could go by your friends. You could go by cancer. You know, there's just various ways to die in that show.
1: That's a really good point about that show in particular is that, because they, they could have given you the same feeling if, they were doing mob hits every episode or every other episode. And you you would still get that feeling of like, man, anyone could get. But they weren't just doing that. They were doing random stuff like life is. And so you really got that sense of that it was realistic in that sense. They, they already live in a dangerous profession. Many of the characters are up in years anyways. And things can go south. Moms can die. People can get whacked. Other people can just have weird random accidents. Other people can go into witness production, never be seen again. It it, it really gave you that sense of foreboding for everyone. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I think three of the main characters died from cancer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jackie, and then uh, Johnny Sachs. and then his yeah. mom. His mom died of some some kind of you know regular thing that one dies from. Um, and then uh, Game of Thrones uh until season eight of course uh the first number of seasons and i was i was like man yeah. at any point now i had read all the books before watching the tv show so i sort of knew but there were some characters i was like well i don't really remember what happened to them um kyle reese in terminator one the the main character arguably oh, yeah. in terminator one like he he's just a regular guy and he's and he's vulnerable and he gets hurt and He's just scrappy and he's fighting this, you know, invulnerable Terminator robot thing. Um, Seven Samurai, all the Seven Samurai. Hmm. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, which came out in the 50s, uh, most of the Seven Samurai die. Um, Unforgiven, which I I love. is a beautiful movie. Uh, Kurt Russell in The Thing, just a classic vulnerable (laughs) character. Uh, Bruce Willis in 12 Monkeys. Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, Watchmen. Actually, the the main characters in Watchmen movie, uh, the the owl and the other, you know, sort the of new... shark, Yeah, yeah. These are just regular people who if they catch a bullet, they die, and and you get that sense of that. Um, the Americans, the TV show, Frodo and Sam of Lord of the Rings. Now, this is kind of We're a really tr- right. tricky one because on one hand, you're just like. Well, there's a lot of deus ex machina moments in this movie, the eagles and all that kind of stuff. Um, And Tolkien liked to kind of kill people and then bring them back. I mean, he killed uh, Gandalf, brings him back. He kind of kills Pippin at some point, brings them back. Kind of kills Frodo, actually, and and brings him back towards (laughs) the end. Um, Because there's this moment where, in the book anyway where the the mouth of Sauron comes out and shows that he has the mithril shirt of Frodo. They didn't really do this in the movie that much. And in the book, you're like, oh my God, they got Frodo and Sam, he's dead. But they just managed to get his armor. And so they're just trying to kind of scare uh, Aragorn and all those people. But anyway, so there's all these moments in the book where it's like, you think someone's dead, but they're really not dead. Um, but at the same time, the the story of Frodo and Sam is like the whole point why... Uh, Tolkien even chose hobbits for his main protagonists in, in all of his books is because they're they're not only simple folk who aren't used to fighting and they read books and smoke pipe weed and uh, drink ale at the at the local bar they're just regular folk not only that but they're they're small they're little you know yeah. and even if they could fight it wouldn't be that. Uh, amazing. And so uh, those characters, uh, I would also That was say, really smart, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's another kind of classic vulnerable character where you're just like, especially in Lord of the Rings towards the end, you're just like, oh my God, like Frodo and Sam are in a really bad place.
1: Yeah,
0: um, All the Stranger Things characters, I would say they do a pretty good job of making them seem vulnerable, although it is kind of cartoony. Um, I also had Indiana Jones, Neo in the first Matrix, but not the other Matrix movies.
1: Huh, definitely, uh,
0: Dark City, the main character in Dark City, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, Kirk and Spock in Wrath of Khan. Uh, the Spock dies in Wrath of Khan, so, um, you know the vulnerability there, the abyss I mentioned. Heat, the movie Heat with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, and um uh, Val Kilmer. You're, you're very aware of the fact that if any of them catches a bullet, they're going to die. Um, on Amazon, I know you even watch watched this. It's a TV show called the tick and it's based on the cartoon, which is based on the comic. Um, so the tick is invulnerable, but his friend, um, Arthur is extremely vulnerable. The guy in the white. (laughs) Yeah. The moth. He plays like the moth guy. Uh, TV show Battlestar Galactica, the more recent one, the first like 10 or 15 episodes, you, you really get a sense that everyone is vulnerable. After a while, it gets a little yeah. bit silly. The movie Kick Ass, uh, mm. the main the main character, although he uh seems kind of vulnerable, he's not. He's just he just doesn't feel pain. He actually can break every bone in his body, but he just doesn't feel pain anymore. And uh the Nicolas Cage character and the little girl, it's just like they're just regular people who are just really good at fighting, you know, um, right. alien, like you said, no country for old men. The main character dies off screen <laughs> and, uh, Woody Harrelson gets caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. He dies. The wife we're supposed to believe she might, I mean, like everyone at any moment, I mean that, you know, that evil guy is just like, uh, <laughs> you know, no one is, is spared. The Departed by Martin Scorsese, uh, everyone, yes. everyone's vulnerable there. Sicario, uh, the first Tron, Looper, I had a pretty good sense of the vulnerability of people, and, of course, Watership Down, which you know, is nothing more vulnerable than a traveling pack of, of bunnies. Um, on my bad list are, like I said, Fast and Furious. Um, a lot of the James Bond movies, even though I'm a James Bond head, uh, there's a lot of James Bond movies where it's just like, okay, I get it. He can do anything he wants, especially the later movies. I, like, I, I never have any kind of worry about James Bond in the more modern. But like
1: Casino Royale, they did that well, right?
0: Um, I rewatched that movie, and uh, I appreciate it for when it came out and how it rebooted the brand. But at the same time, I wasn't actually worried about him. Man, um,
1: he nearly dies of a heart attack.
0: Yeah, was that in, was that in the first one or that the second one?
1: No, it's Casino Royale because he has to like oh, yeah. leave the casino and then go to the car and then inject the yeah. thing. And but,
0: but that's the that's the James Bond brand, which I I grant it because yeah. you can't have James Bond. You, you got he's got to be smooth and he always knows what he's doing. It's all part of the brand, which is fine. Um, Iron Man, besides the first one, uh, I find him right. to be just invulnerable, and of course he dies. Spoiler alert. Um, Captain America. Uh, I, f- I find that one to be a total missed opportunity. Like Captain America. Uh, what's his name? Steve Rogers. Yeah. He's a, he's a regular guy who gets infused with this blue stuff that makes him strong, you know, stronger than the average human faster. makes him faster, makes him, you know, jump higher, makes him heal a little bit faster. But he's still human, and if a bullet goes through his head, he's dead. If a bullet goes through his ankle, it goes through his ankle. He's not bulletproof. But at no point in any of the Marvel movies did I think that Captain America was ever going to be hurt. At no point did I ever think, oh, uh, he better watch out. He's going to get hurt he just fell from a you know a 20 story building and landed on his side is he okay it never ever occurred to me oh, oh oh my god he's like the way john mcclane or something yeah uh thor is just a ridiculous character and and that's why you have to make like with ragnarok you have to put him in a situation where he doesn't have power over the system. Like he's right. basically invulnerable. He's a God yeah. for God crying out And so Ragnarok is good, but the other Thor kind of iterations I find to just be, you You. I, you have to make him interesting. And I find the Marvel universe often would do that. I, I feel like with Captain America, they just never made him interesting to me. I just never was interested in Captain America on the screen.
1: By the way, uh, which makes the original idea of Hulk actually interesting because The Hulk, you could, you know, the way it's turned is another one of these indestructible gods, right? But the original idea is like this guy who has no control over his emotions and when he loses control or little and when he loses control enough, he turns into this beast. But when he's the beast, he's not really like thinking things through and he can cause untold damage and even hurt those that he loves. And then he has no control when he stops being the beast. And then it's like he got, he's got to flee and hide because that's a vulnerable character, even though he's so powerful when he's in Hulk. Book. But nowadays he's really just like, in fact, that's why they had to nerf him in the movies because we, they had shown us in the early movies. Like, yeah, well look, once Hulk turns Hulk, like we're fine. Everything's well, fine. He'll just the, TV sh-
0: the TV show in the seventies, could he be shot and hurt
1: while he's a Hulk? No. But the thing is that
0: the TV show, because I, in my head, yeah. I thought he could be hurt if he was shot. no,
1: not really. But again, the point of that TV show wasn't about how badass he was as a Hulk. I mean, sure, he he did beat the bad guys up and stuff. But the main point was that he was just trying to be a normal guy. And he was trying not to turn into the Hulk because everything went to hell when he did. And he didn't yeah. want to be running away from everywhere and stuff like that. So there's right. a lot more complexity to it.
0: Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, that's like, I don't know what you call it, but it's like superpower drift uh, again star wars yeah, uh yeah. episode nine is just a class. that that's not a drift that's just like a like a i don't know an avalanche if you will um it's this 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 uh temptation to be like well we gotta we gotta <laughs> create n- bigger powers or more diverse powers and with Hulk it's like well he's basically one dimensional he's this you know scientist who's nonviolent and weak by day. And then if you make him angry, he turns into the Hulk and he's like stupid and, yeah. and super powerful. So how do we, you know, what do we do with this character over time? Yeah. And so eventually it's like, well, now he has the power to actually switch whenever he wants to. Now he can actually retain some of his intelligence, you know? And, yeah. and it's just like, okay, you've just ruined the character. You yeah. know? It's the same with like Aquaman. Like I grew up with an Aquaman who you could shoot. You could, you could shoot him, you could throw him off a building and he's dead. Now we have an Aquaman who's Superman um, and really has nothing to do with the water anymore. He's just, he's just another version of Superman who can't, who can't fly, but he can actually throw himself off of things and essentially fly. You know, it's like, like in heroes, the TV show, the first season, right. All those characters were, you, you knew that if you shot them, they were dead. If you threw them off a building, unless they could fly, which only one character could, um, they were going to get hurt. But then you go to season two and it's just like everyone is invulnerable anyway.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, have we talked about, uh, or have you watched and, or have we talked about uh, one punch man?
0: Uh, we have talked about it and yeah. I have seen some scenes.
1: That, the, what's great about that is that it's, it's a send up of exactly this problem because the, the main character, he beats everyone with one punch. He is absolutely invulnerable. He's never in any risk. And that's by design. That's the joke. And every episode, the, the bad guys get more and more and more powerful and more and more powerful. And it doesn't matter. And it's, it's funny because it's basically making fun of that, of that uh, what did you call it, power? Uh, power creep. Creep, yeah. Um,
0: the Star Trek TV shows are actually kind of guilty of this. I never worried that Picard was going to die. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I love those shows. And I was just wondering what you thought about this, because especially with a TV show like in the old days when you had like 30 episodes a year, uh-huh. you couldn't have Picard and Riker and, you know, the other characters in constant almost death every <laughs> single episode because it would it would be like um, 24, right? When yeah. every season the daughter gets abducted. It's like, okay, uh, you know... I, I <laughs> enough of this shit. Um, so um but at the same time I really loved The Next Generation when it came out, Deep Space Nine. Uh so how do we reconcile that aspect of it?
1: Well, that's a good question. You know, and and I had never really watched much of The Next Generation. I do remember as a kid watching the old one, the one but like that-
0: other T V shows like um yeah. Like, what's a serial that you like, an action serial that you like? Like, you, you liked um, Daredevil, right? Didn't you like that yeah. show? Yeah. Did you ever worry that Daredevil was going to actually die midway through the season? No. And gonna, no right. No. You never worried Daredevil. Was gonna, and yet, like, somehow it makes it interesting. Yeah. You know, somehow, for me, TV shows are able to do that and still make it enjoyable for me to watch. I mean, a classic right. example of this is Clone Wars with the, the cartoon that has Anakin and obi-wan and this is between episodes two and three well of course i know anakin and obi-wan are going to live because you know i know the future uh r2 and c3p are in are in the cartoon the one character that you don't know about is like some of the side characters who are main characters like ahsoka and some of the clones that we follow and uh we don't know about their fates um and so we kind of worry about them but but we don't worry about and yet we still watch even though at no point am I predicting they're going to get hurt. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting. It's like, do we, do we let TV shows off the hook a little bit or what's the deal?
1: Certainly in the 80s, we let them off the hook hardcore because at least nowadays there are plot arcs that take like a whole season, sometimes more than a season, sometimes a whole series, right? Whereas in the 80s, it really was every episode was its own little microcosm. Things ended up. Well, you know, for the most part, ended up fine at the end, started off fine at the beginning. And, and yeah, we ate it up. Um, however, I think that TV shows also get away with introducing uh, localized problems. Uh, like, for example, in an episode of Star Trek, they might introduce us to um, a whole new planet with, full of people that we've never seen before. And into their problem that they're having. And that's the problem they're trying to solve. And it's okay if we never see those people again in the other episodes, whereas like if you're watching a movie or even a movie series, you sort of like expect a little more continuity, perhaps, um uh, maybe that's part of it, you know,
0: yeah, it's they create the the character, so to speak, that we're worried about is like the the mission, maybe the yes. mission maybe the mission won't work, um, which is interesting. um other uh, creations that I don't worry about the characters every John Woo movie with Chow Yun-Fat in it. I never thought <laughs> that Chow Yun-Fat was going to get hurt. He's, uh, he's a normal human, but he seems to be, you know, bulletproof and he can do everything. Um, at the same time, I really love John Woo movies. So it's interesting how some creators, you know, like the John Woo movies and the Expendables have the same uh, uh-huh. identifiers, which is, I never worry that the characters are going to die. They're just regular humans. They never miss with their gun. Bullets seem to completely avoid them. Uh, Explosions uh, don't really harm them. If they are harmed, it doesn't really affect them uh, in the long run. And yet, John Woo Woo movies I love and Expendables I don't like. And so it's like it must be a style thing or I don't know what that is. It's like that special something, you know.
1: That's a great point because, for example, Uh, A lot of Jackie Chan movies, part of the appeal is that is how perfect he's going to be because those choreographies. It's like now the character itself, depending on the movie, has flaws and maybe they seem a little vulnerable, like drunken master or something like that. But but ultimately, really, what you're what you're there to do is to watch how perfectly that character ends up using the plates and then spinning them in one finger and then deflecting the elbow with the other one and then jumping to the window and coming. And you actually love that sequence, um, but I think because the characters have character and there is humor, and you know that makes those Jackie Chan older movies, anyways, uh, pretty fun to watch. Even though you're, you know that he's gonna end up, you know, powering through all the action sequences.
0: Well, you, you know he's gonna live that because. Yeah you have it's no one thinks you're going to go into a Jackie Chan movie and think he's going to die at some point in the movie. It's just, it's just not his style. Another movie that comes to mind is John wick, right? Like I really right. like the John, John wick movies. And at no point am I, especially two and three, am I worried that he's going to die? Yeah. But, but I think they, you know, if I remember right, they do injure him a lot in those movies. And I think that that helps, you know, the John McClane, he gets injured a lot through Die Hard, right. and it it reminds you, oh, they bleed, you know, like they're human yep. beings; they they can be harmed.
1: My my brother and I had this game where you would play when we were kids. When I was about, I was probably fifteen; he was eleven, and we would uh like, you know, wear our shorts, put on our war paint, like I think we painted our faces and stuff. And the game was basically like a WWF wrestling match, but the characters were all the different characters from these action movies we liked. And we would swap who was whom and we would have to act like that character. So as an example, in one moment it might be like, okay, I'm Arnold from Terminator. And then my brother might be like, okay, well I'm John McClane from uh, Die Hard. And then we would fight. And then of course Terminator would be like, I'd be like, I'm going to kill you John Connor or whatever, John McClane. And, uh, but, and then he'd be acting like he's getting hurt, but it doesn't matter how much he gets hurt. Cause he could still like a- escape and then come up with some solution. And then we'd do that. And we did that with Mel Gibson. We did that with like all the Rambos and the Rockies and, and the Rocky one was hilarious because I remember every time I played Rocky, I would just let what, whatever character my brother was playing, I would let him beat me up for like five minutes straight and then I would still win the fight. <laughs> so that was, that was
0: funny. <laughs> I think that is the best story from your childhood you've ever told <laughs> my brother I, has
1: fond memories of that
0: <laughs> i can totally picture you guys doing that uh, but i find that to be quite advanced thinking too like because the two of you would have to play along like yeah you know it'd be tempting it's like well i'm terminator i can t- i can just crush your head john McClane. but somehow you would have to well, let's keep it entertaining. You know, let's right. actually make it, you're you're trying to make it into a cinematic scene um, yeah. that uh, I'm sure some YouTuber has actually created at some point.
1: <laughs> there was actually, um, there's been those animated or claymation or, or one of them. It's, no, it's animated. Uh, I've seen videos of like these arena fights where they pit all these fictional characters against each other and uh, Thanos comes on top one time and then,
0: yeah. So other bad examples of, you know, non-invulnerability. The A-Team, I never worried about the A-Team, and yet I still loved that show when I was a kid. I'm I sure it's a, it. I'm sure it's a terrible show now if I watched it. Yeah. Um, actually, one that bothers me kind of is Zatoichi, the Blind sword, Swordsman, the Japanese mm. uh, series. Similar to James Bond, it's like, well, you know what you're going to get. But I, as I always say, and this is Book of Eli Denzel Washington, that movie, and daredevil for that matter. It's like, okay, the whole idea is they have a disability. They're blind. And yet they're still really good at, uh, because they accentuate better. Well, they accentuate their hearing, you know, it makes them pay attention to things that maybe if, you know, sighted people, uh, can't really see, but they're still blind. So there has to be at least some, some problem or some, you know, Superman has kryptonite, Zatoichi, Book of Eli, Daredevil. There's no kryptonite there. Someone should, someone should come along to Daredevil and be like, you know, like he doesn't make a sound, you know, like he, uh, he knows how to move. So he doesn't make sound. He, he, his clothes don't rub against each other. You know, you, you, you have to make it, the, a secret you know achilles had his had his heel you know yeah. every every invulnerable creature has to have some kind of uh vulnerability In zatoichi book of eli daredevil they don't seem to have anything that any you know exploitable thing and again yeah. i find that to be just an adolescent way of writing because it's like okay he's got a he has a disability but you know what no one can hurt him. You know what I mean? It, Cause he's, he's awesome. You know, like when a seven year old writes a story, it's like, <laughs> I'm the best. Like if you and your brother were to do that game, when you were like <laughs> seven years old, you would have been like, I defeat you younger brother. I'm the yeah. best. You know, later on in life, you're more mature. You're like, well, to make this entertaining, let's actually yeah. make it so that it kind of <laughs> goes back and forth for a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it just find those storylines to just be, very childish and yeah. I, I don't know. Am I being a dick when I say that? Cause you know, art is art.
1: No, 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 I, I agree. Uh, now I happen to like Satoichi and, and uh, but I haven't seen the book of Eli. I totally see what you're saying about there though. Um, I think it is a conceit that you like either buy into or you don't, you're like, okay, he's blind. So therefore he's a superhuman, but <laughs> I'll say that's the same kind of thing that annoyed me about when they made Yoda, the, the jumping, wonder of the, of the world in, in the, in the prequels, uh, which is like, look, it's not good enough that Yoda can like really outthink people and outsmart them because he's wise and like sit there and he's got really great force, mental powers. That's not good enough. He's also got to be a star athlete better than the younger, taller, you know, actual, you know, that's what annoys me. It's like that, that, that's that really immature kind of writing. Like, well, yeah. if we're going to see Yoda uh, be a badass. He's got to be badass with a lightsaber.
0: Right, totally. And uh, not to go down a Star Wars path, but the more I, th- nine ruined seven and eight for me now too, to some extent. Oh, because man. it's like, you know, when you think about four, five, and six, you think, okay, what was Yoda's purpose? Well, he was basically physically powerless, you know? Yeah. We, we never saw him use a lightsaber. He, was, uh, he could barely walk, right. uh, but he was wise. He could teach you the ways of the force. He could connect you to the force. He could give you the wisdom to use the force yeah. in a, a moral balanced way. Um, he also was very good at, at picking things up like the, like the X-Wing. Um, and he kind of had to strain to pick that yeah. thing up. Yeah. So then we, you know, go to the rest of the story. And when you, now, when you look at Yoda in episode five, it's like, well, he's basically worthless. Like, yeah. like Ray didn't really need that much instruction. She barely it seems like she barely got any instruction. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
1: Um,
0: and, and, and she ended up, uh, you know, doing awesome. So, We've done away with the need for any Jedi to get taught anything ever. Um, <laughs> and uh, all the other, um, uh, you know, force users beyond, you know, episode four, five, and six have powers way beyond <laughs> what what Yoda had. I mean, Yoda, you know, in the grand scheme of things was like, you know, <laughs> j- he would have been like fifth string in the Jedi council. You know what I mean? He was he, the like, baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, his wisdom means nothing. His powers are extremely weak, actually. Um, he, you know, his, his wisdom doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, like actually in, in episode one, two and three, um, one of the things that always kind of bugged me was um, Yoda was supposed to be, you know, a very wise character. And the whole time he's like, Oh, strange things are afoot. And it's yeah. like, It's like uh, anyone could detect. Like (laughs) I think this, you know, the guy who has taken over all power over the galaxy. Maybe we should kind of watch out for that guy. Um, You know, like you know, it just it. I don't know. It's just me just complaining about sir. Other uh, creations that I find to be the invulnerability to be really silly is the later born movies. Uh, I never, I never worry about Jason Bourne past the first movie. Um, of course, Aquaman, I never, I never for one (laughs) second worried about Aquaman in that movie or any movie that he's in for that matter. The insurgent movies are kind of like that. The hunger games movies, particularly after the first one are kind of like that. Uh, expendables, Jack Reacher, the movie, um, which I get because in the books, he's supposed to be this total badass but it doesn't make for a good movie because yeah. I'm like, he's, he's basically like Thor, you know, King Arthur. The, uh, there's actually a couple Arthur movies that I never worried about them. The equalizer and other Denzel Washington movie. Oh yes,
1: I- yes, yes. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I've seen the video clips on YouTube and there's that little kid in me that wants to watch him. Cause it's, it's exactly that. It's the, it doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter how many guys he's facing. He's going to get them all their asses kicked.
0: Yeah. It's very silly. Like he's made two or three of those movies. And I'm just like, (laughs) Denzel, like, dude, like you have better options. Uh, Why are you in this just stupid movie? Um, Now I grew up watching death wish, which I loved, but death wish two, three and beyond never worried about uh, Charles Bronson. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned the other ones anyway. So it's a long list and uh, I think we've sufficiently uh, wasted our time enough with this topic for all our right. quarantine time. Um, so let's wrap it up, Birdo. If, if anyone's still listening, um, you must be, you must be bored as hell just like hey, you're
1: Bird, quarantined too. So
0: just like Birdo and I are, um, I hope that this was a respite from all the worries of, you know, coronavirus and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we'll be having other episodes this week of um, this sort of thing where we can kind of uh, just take a break for a second and, and still remember that life is good and worth laughing at and worth making fun of. Right, Bruno?
1: That's right.
0: Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because
1: you deserve it.